0: You're listening to the Metro L.A. Podcast, an official podcast of the L.A. International Church of Christ. Morning, everybody. Welcome to the Los Angeles International Church of Christ. Great to have you with us. Welcome to the Metro region, to the Metro family in the L.A. Church. Great to have you with us this morning. And we are continuing our series on things that Jesus taught. And uh, I I love this. You know, we we we've committed ourselves this year to focus on being in Him. That's our theme, in Him. And we've been looking at things of of God, the Father, of Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Of course, we kind of going back and forth. But this series is is focused on things that Jesus taught. And I'm particularly pulling out things that maybe we don't talk about so much normally. And, and, you know, words are incredibly important, right? Words mean a lot. And, and imagine, you know, somebody, something, there was a meeting in heaven, and maybe the meeting was just the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but where they talked about what is Jesus going to say in his ministry? He's going to have a ministry of three years, basically. What is he going to say in those three years? What's going to get recorded? And what is going to change the world and change Billions of people's lives. So every word he said, as you can imagine, is incredibly important and especially important to us who are Christians. And for you, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, or you're just visiting and checking it out, you know, finding out what he said, that's, what's, that, that, that's what we have the Bible for. That's why we have all these, you know, recorded, everything he said recorded for us. So we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 7. And we jump right into, it's really the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we're kind of picking it up exactly where I ended on the last sermon that I did on on teachings of Jesus, things that Jesus said. And um, and it's at the very end, it is a short little parable uh, where he says some very significant things. In verse 24, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So he tells us right from the get-go, look, somebody who listens to Jesus' words, but not just hears them, actually puts them into practice. And there's the key right there. Puts them into practice. It's one thing to have a Bible, it's a whole nother thing to practice what it says. It's one thing to go to church, but it's a whole nother thing to practice what we learned at church, right? Right? It's, it's, it's the difference of life and death. It's, it's the difference of making it and not making it, right? So he says, he says the person who puts into practice like a, is like somebody, a wise person who builds their life or their house on a rock, right? He says, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. You know, he said, look, the house went through a lot of challenges, storms and wind and streams and, and water and, and, you know, but it didn't get knocked down. It's solid, rock solid. It sits on the rock of, well, of course we know, is Jesus and his word, right? And, and that's our lives today, right? He, I mean, there's so much happening in our world. There's so many crazy things swirling all around us. It's really an incredible time in history to be alive, this time period. And there's so many things going on all around us. And And, and the person who hears this word but practices it, their life will be protected by the word of God. But then he says, but everyone who who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And of course, he says, the person who, who hears, and now notice both of the two, the two people are both hearers. That means they're both going to church. That means they're both reading their Bibles. That means they're both probably considering themselves Christians. But one of them practices and the other one doesn't practice what it says. You know, there's, 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 it's an easy trap to fall into. Because I know better doesn't mean I do better. Because I know what's right doesn't mean I practice what's right. There's a there's a religious term uh, used in academic circles. It's praxis. What is the praxis of your life? In other words, what is the practice of your life? Do you actually practice what you preach? Do you practice what you say? Do you put into practice the things you say you believe and you follow? And this is incredibly important to Jesus. You know, this this is these are probably some of his most significant words that he's telling us. Is to make sure that we're not just hearing it, we're not just reading it, we're not just you know exposing ourselves to it. Although all that is good, but more than that, we are actually practicing the things that he taught. We're putting them into practice. It's our praxis, right? In in, in Matthew twenty-three, there's a classic, classic chapter that um, where Jesus. Lays out the religious people, the, the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and the tax collectors, and he challenged them. It's called the seven woes. And the thing about the seven woes, you know, it's, it's Jesus basically expressing his anger, expressing his indignation which is righteous indignation. What's the difference between righteous indignation and blowing your temper? Blowing your temper is per- almost always about yourself, right? Something that bothers you, that just bugs you. Righteous indignation is, is the anger that a righteous person feels when somebody's offending God, when somebody is doing something that's absolutely wrong. I'll never forget one day, um, um, Michelle and I, were t- we took the kids to this is a place called Brandy's. It It's kinda of like a Chuck E. Cheese. And they were playing on the playground and and this this one little kid there, we kept hearing him say, Oh my God, oh my God. You know, and he kept saying that again and again, you know, and, and I mean, it was noticeable every time he'd yell, Oh my God and then our oldest daughter, who was at the time probably about five years old, maybe even four. She was really little. But she walked up to the little kid and stuck her finger in his face and said, Stop saying that. My God doesn't like it. And and oh my gosh, everybody just stopped. And we all looked at it and went, Whoa. I mean, she was a picture of righteous indignation. Last week, last week, um, um, Reese gave a sermon about Jesus flipping the tables and what made him angry and everything. That was not Jesus losing his temper. In fact, actually, we know from the other Gospels that he had showed up the night before and was watching everything. He was angry because people were being hypocritical. Because people were abusing God and dishonoring God's name. In fact, the truth is that's what any Person who loves God and walks with God is going to feel with hypocrisy. It's going to make them mad. It's going to make them furious because it's wrong and it makes God look bad. I mean, how many kids have I seen grow up in hypocritical families and they hate the church. They hate God. They hate the Bible because it's all hypocrisy to them. It it's, it, it, it embitters people. How many people, how many of us grew up with attitudes towards Christianity or attitudes towards churches because of experiences with hypocrisy? I mean, the truth is everybody hates hypocrisy. Everybody hates a hypocrite. And it particularly made Jesus angry. And I mean, he lays them out. Woe to you. Woe to you. You know, I mean, when, you know, seven times he says this, well, six times he says, what are you hypocrites? One, and the one he doesn't, he calls them blind guides, which is not any better, you know, but, but he, he rebukes them seven times. Woe to you, you know, because it makes him mad and he keeps talking. And later on in the very same, in the same discourse, he says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell?" Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify others. You will flog in your own synagogues and pursue from town to town. I mean, Jesus is, is, is definitely angry here. It is definitely righteous indignation. He's bothered. He doesn't, he hates hypocrisy, right? Because it turns everybody off because it makes people curse God. It makes people walk away and, 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 it it is like the most it is it's the opposite of what Jesus was all about it's the opposite of what God stands for truth and light you know and honesty hypocrisy is is deceit and pretending and playing games and not being really who you really are and you see how he feels about it he says you snakes you brood of vipers he says how will you escape being condemned to hell Whoa, can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Can you imagine Jesus saying, you're a snake. How are you going to get out of going to hell? Whoa. I mean, I don't, I, you know, nobody wants want that said by Jesus to them, right? I mean, I would die on the spot if he said that to me. Because that is not what, we, what, what we're here for. We're not in this. We're not in the church. I didn't join the church to be a hypocrite. I didn't join. I didn't go to church before because I hated hypocrisy. Why would I become that now? Why would any of us want to live that way? Right? And, and here's the thing about being a hypocrite. Says, you're not going to escape hell. You're going to, you can fool a lot of people here and now. You're living a double life. You can pretend, you can act like you're okay. But in the end, you will be caught and God will expose it. The Bible warns us that everything will be exposed in the light in the end. Everything. Every, even Jesus even said every word and deed. You know, if we're if we're pretending to be Christians, but we're slandering people and we're lying or we're cursing or we're saying ugly things, he said, you will be held accountable for every single word you say and every deed you do. So nobody's going to get away with anything in the end. And, and, and he tells, he says, therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. He said, look, I'm providing you help. Prophets, people who will challenge you, who will preach the word of the Lord to you, who will call you out of darkness, who will call you to do what's right. He says, I'm sending those people to you. And he does. And and, and he says, and sages, people, what's a sage? A sage is a wise person. Maybe they're not a prophet. Maybe they're not a minister. Maybe they're not a teacher, but they're just somebody who's very wise in our lives, you know, and teachers, people who can teach us and help us. I mean, certainly I think I've been a Christian 38 years. I've had such an incredible number of different friends in different cities and different places who have been all of those. I've had prophets in my life. I've had sages in my life. I've had teachers and God always provides us that. He always provides somebody. Every ministry I've ever been to, every church I've ever visited, those people are in the fellowship. Not the whole church. Not everybody's a prophet. Not everybody's a sage. Not everybody's a teacher. But they're always there. And God is always providing everything we need for life and godliness. That's his promise. So if we are not doing what's right, whose fault is it? It's completely on us. It's on me if I don't do what's right. God has taught me what's right. He has shown me what's right. He has provided people to help me do right. If I'm not being honest, if I'm not being upfront, if I'm playing a game, if I'm pretending to be one thing that I'm really not, if I'm living a double life, it's totally on me. And, and here's the thing is that he says, some of you, some of them you will kill and crucify. You know, when, when somebody doesn't want to live in the light, when somebody really doesn't want the truth, what do they do? They get mad at the prophets. They get mad at the sages. They, they walk away. They don't, they, they get angry at the teacher. They shut them out. They ignore them. They, 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 sh- they seal them out of their life. And let me tell you something. We have tons of great people in our region that could help everybody in our region. If somebody's not getting the help they need, it's because they're not going after it. Because there's plenty of great people to help all around us. And, and, and then there's always the one that wants to attack the teacher or attack the, the sage or attack the prophet. He says, he says, some of them you will kill and crucify, others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue them from town to town. And, and, and this is Jesus warning them, warning the hypocrites, don't do this. Humble out. Listen. Learn. Be teachable. Be moldable. Be challengeable. Is that a real word? I don't know, but it's a good one. Be somebody who's open to being challenged, open to being corrected, open to being taught. Don't let yourself be somebody who thinks you've got it all down. Because you know what? Once we start pretending we've got everything down and we're perfect, then we have to keep up that facade and then the temptation to become a Pharisee. Excuse me. A hypocrite seeps in slowly. Because we don't want to admit when we're wrong. We don't want to admit we've done wrong. We don't want to admit fault. Now, am I talking about being perfect and we can never make mistakes? Of course not. We're not talking about perfection. Everybody messes up sometimes. Everybody blows it sometimes. Everybody falls into sin periodically. None of us are sin free. In fact, John said anyone who claims to be without sin is a liar, right? We we all mess up. What he's not, he's not talking about, are we sin free? He's talking about, do we avoid sin in our life? What is our way of living? There's an important word that's, that's good to know. The word is ethos in Greek. It's ethos. It's a word that Paul mentions to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Okay. Um, I, the, the, the translation is, a, eh, it's not the best translation, because ethos means customs, tradition, or way of being. That's your ethos. What is your way of being? How do you act? How do you live? This is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about how do we live? Do we live by the truth? What do we practice in our normal life? You know, I mean, everybody's going to blow it once in a while. And when we blow it, we repent, we confess it, and we get back on the horse and march forward. We get back on the bike and keep riding. We get back on the trail and start walking forward. And we get back to how we normally live. Our ethos—that's our ethos, our way of living. Uh, in in the Spanish, it says costumbre, our way of being, our custom. How do we act? We all know. We all know each other. We know what somebody's like, right? If you don't know what you're like, ask your kids. They'll tell you exactly what you're like. Ask your spouse. She'll tell you what you're like, or your or he'll tell you what you're like. This is what you're like. This brother, he always tells the truth. Know, sometimes maybe he might fudge a little, and then he'll admit it. He'll repent, and it's not really fudging; it's lying. And he'll confess that he lied, and and he'll correct it, or or exaggerate it, or whatever, you know. But uh, but but a Christ-like ethos, a Christian ethos. Is I always try to do right. I may slip sometimes. I may mess up sometimes. But my way of living. My way of being. My ethos. That's what an ethos is. is righteous. It's holy. It's practicing everything Jesus taught me. That's what he's talking about. Is having a Jesus ethos. Do you have a Jesus ethos? The opposite of that is being a hypocrite. Uh, I pretend to live a righteous life, but I lie when it's convenient, I steal when it's convenient, I gossip when it's convenient, I criticize when it's convenient, I, I I cheat when I have to. That is a sinful ethos. That's a hypocritical ethos. That's you know, I lose my temper at home and yell at my kids, I curse. I say ugly things. I look at pornography regularly. That's an ugly ethos. That's not right. That is being a hypocrite. You know, in Matthew 7, Jesus tells us something really important. More words of Jesus. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. How many? A few, he says. A few. He says it's a narrow gate. And only a few find it. The wide one leads to destruction. And most people find that one. They're not on the few, they're not the few, they're the most. And the most, that's why I don't want to be like most people. I don't want to live like most people. I don't want to be part of most people. I know you don't. I didn't want to join a church to be a, a hypocrite. I left hypocrisy I could be a church, be part of a church of people who are sincere about their faith, who are real, who are honest, who are open, who strive for their best. Not perfect. They're not going to be perfect, but they have a Jesus ethos. They try to live this way. And Jesus warns us. He tells us, look, you got to really fight for this. You've got to live intentionally. You've got to live purposefully. You've got to have your mind and your heart set on this or you become like everyone else who don't find it, who don't get there. You know, I, I, you know, even his words are not to just make us mad or, or scare us. They're because he cares about us. I love the old saying, he comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. I mean, for the most part, I love talking about God's love. I love talking about Jesus' grace and mercy and kindness and patience and His understanding. It's why I'm in love with Jesus. It's why I devote my life to Him. It's why I give everything. It's why you do what you do, right? Because of His love and His grace. But it also makes me understand that I don't play games with Him. And, I don't, and, and, and if I'm doing bad or if I'm messing up, He's going to challenge me and that's good. Because I need that. I need that. And sometimes I get comfortable and Jesus will challenge us or he'll send a prophet or he'll send a sage or He'll send a teacher to help us see that we need to get back on track. Why? Because not everybody finds it. He said later on, same chapter, we're still in Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. It's another way of saying that only the one who actually practices it. Only the one who has a praxis. They live up to their praxis. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow, that is a powerful, powerful statement. says, it's not about being religious. You can go to church all the time. You can read your Bible all the time. You can have a big Bible. You can, you can be super religious And it be worthless. It can mean nothing. It can have zero value. People ask me, you know, do you think that only people in your church are saved? Of course I don't think that. But I don't even think that everybody in our church is necessarily saved. Because it's how we live that matters. It's how we live our lives that shows whether we're Jesus' people or not. There are hypocrites. People who live double lives. Who pretend to be a disciple and yet lie, yet curse, yet cheat, yet yet are horrible to their kids or horrible to their spouses. And that's that, and God will catch that. God will expose that and God will deal with it. I don't want to be in that group and shouldn't, you shouldn't either. But we strive to be people who live according to the truth, who are honest, who live and walk in the light. But when we face Jesus, the words we hear are, well done, good and faithful servant. And he's going to say, well done, not because we were perfect, not because we didn't make mistakes, but because we tried, because we lived a Jesus ethos. We always were striving to do right. We corrected ourselves. We listened to the prophets. We listened to the sages. We obeyed the teachers and put into practice everything we learned from Jesus. And when we messed up, we got back on our feet and kept going. You know what a hypocrite is, right? It literally is a Greek actor. No slam on actors. and then we got actors in the church. It's nothing bad with an actor. It's just that a, a hypocrite is, is, the, is actually an, a Greek actor wore a mask. And that's who he pretended to be. And that mask was who he pretended to be. It wasn't the real him or real her. Actually, they were all men, and and even the women, they would wear a, a female mask pretending to be a woman, but they weren't really. And so a hypocrite is simply somebody who pretends to be something they're not. It's somebody who pretends to be honest, but they're not honest. They pretend to be pure and holy, but they're not. They pretend to live in the truth and in the light, but they're not. And that's what Jesus hated. That's what he couldn't stand. That's who he was talking to when he said, how will you escape going to hell? How do you think you're going to get out of this? You know, there's a, there's a very classic, classic um, scene in the early church. You know, the church in Acts that was founded and grace and love. And it was a beautiful scene. They were sharing everything. I mean, it was the closest thing to a perfect church you'll ever see anywhere it was the church right at the beginning. But even there hypocrisy struck, you know, that the, the people were selling their property and give and laying the money at the feet of the apostles, turning in and saying, here's what we got. We're donating that to the church so the church can be taken care of, so the kingdom can be taken care of. You know, I appreciate even, you know, what, what Edgar was saying in his interview, he was sharing how, how it makes me want to give everything and sacrifice everything, even financially, because I believe in this so much. And I love the church, you know, and that's where we're supposed to be. That is a healthy mindset that we want to give it all to the church. But sometimes we get tempted to play games. And there was a scene in in Acts chapter five, Ananias, Sapphira, sell a piece of property and look at what happens. Instead of just giving the money to the church, they didn't have to give it all. Nobody told them they had to give all of it, but they lied. They pretend to give everything they got and they didn't. And so we read Peter asking, what made you think of doing such a thing? Why would they lie? You have not just lied to human beings, but to the Lord. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what happened. The whole church went, whoa, whoa. God is serious about righteousness. God is serious about not playing games. God will deal even with Christians. He killed a Christian. Then some of the young men came forward, wrapped up his body and forward and carried him and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Wow. That was in the church. That was disciples of Jesus. And they gave in to being deceitful. They gave in to being dishonest about their lives and about their situation. And actually lying to the leaders of the church. Lying to the church. You know. And, and, and the truth is, we don't see another scene like that. It happened at the very beginning. Why? When striking things happen in the Bible, you've got to ask yourself why. What, what is God trying to show me with this? What is God teaching me here? I think there's a number of lessons. The most obvious is... Don't play games with God, especially in the church. Don't play games with God. Live in the light. Be honest. Be real. Don't be fake. Don't pretend. Don't hide your sin. You sin, confess it. Deal with it. Be the real thing. Be authentic in your religion. Jesus said to them later in Matthew 10, he said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. (laughs) It's interesting because Jesus says... Only fear God and don't be afraid. What do you mean by this? If you're going to fear anybody, don't be afraid of people. Don't be afraid of what people are going to say. Don't be afraid of what people will do to you. Only one that you need to fear is God because God can put your soul, can kill you and put your soul in hell. He's the only one you need to be afraid of. The fear of people gets us in a lot of trouble. The fear of what people will say, the fear of what people will think of us, it gets us to lie sometimes, it gets us to pretend that we're something that we're not, it gets us to play games. Fear really controls, us. sometimes we oh, we react to fear and we get prideful instead of getting humble, or we get defensive, or we go on the attack, and all it is is fear. Fear of looking bad, fear of looking weak, fear of, of, of people criticizing us, fear of... failure. failure. I mean, all these fears, they mess us up. So we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And we have to really strive to put into practice what he said. That has to be our ethos. Our ethos has to be a Jesus ethos. But then he says, look, he says, he says, yet not one of them will fall. He says, are you not, are not two sparrows sold for a penny?" Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than, any, than many sparrows. This reminds us, look, God loves you. Why does God discipline us? Because he loves us. And he cares about us. Why does Jesus say tough things? To help us. The same reason a good parent says tough things to their kids. Because they love their kids. And they don't want their kids to destroy their lives. To ruin their own lives. And so they will discipline their kids. Which actually makes their kids feel more secure and loved. And the same thing with us. is God challenges us because he loves us. And he says, don't be afraid. You know, fear, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. Right? And and most of us, that's why we became Christians. We were afraid. We we're afraid of going to hell. We we're afraid we'd blown it. We we're afraid of ourselves when we saw our sin. And that's a good beginning. That's a good start, man. It gets us out of sin. It gets us to stop doing stupid things. It gets us to repent and to get baptized. And hopefully we caught a glimpse of the love of Jesus and that was in there too. When we saw that we would be forgiven, that we saw that all that Jesus did for us and how much He loves us. And hopefully in our Christian life, that grows and becomes more and more and more our motivation. Because love is a much better motivation than fear. Fear will keep you from doing stupid things. But love will take you to greater heights and great victories and miracles. And help you become all that God designed you to be. But fear is important. It keeps us from doing stupid things. Fear seized the whole church, and that was right, so that they would live a good ethos, the ethos of Jesus. What is the ethos of Jesus? It means that you're not lying anymore; you tell the truth. It means no more stealing. We, in fact, we're giving all the time. We're sacrificing. We're giving. It means no more cheating. We're honest. We're upfront. We don't we, we 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 don't cheat anymore. We do what's right. It means no cussing. We speak with honesty and understanding the power of our words. With purity and holiness, we lift each other up. We encourage one another. It means no more complaining. We express gratitude. We express appreciation instead of complaining. It means no more slandering. We don't just talk trash about people. We honor people. We hold people up. It means no more gossip. We hold our tongues when we're tempted to talk about bad things that others have done or that we don't like or that bothers us. It means we 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 don't give our hearts to pornography. We protect our eyes and our ears and we and we do things to make sure that we don't fall into it. It means no more hating. We love, we love everyone. We strive or give our hearts to everyone, every race, every language, every ethnicity, every background. Because Jesus said, go to all ethnicities and make disciples. No more prejudice. We show compassion. We show understanding. No more racism. We understand the challenges of others and the things that other people go through. From whatever background. No more murder. We don't take life, we give life. In fact, we save people. We devote ourselves to saving people. No more cheating. We practice justice. We do our part. We speak up for the weak. We defend the poor. We serve the needy. No more addiction. We choose freedom. Freedom to overcome. We we live a freed life. That's the ethos of a Christian. That's That's the group I want to be a part of. How about you? The kingdom of God. What a great place. Again, does it mean we're all perfect? No, we mess up, but we (laughs) repent. (laughs) And we get back on the right path. We catch ourselves and we correct ourselves. We confess our sins. We get help from each other. We rely on the prophets and wise people and teachers that Jesus has sent us. And we get that help. Jesus said, very important, he said this to the, woman, the Samaritan woman, but it's in the same line of what we're talking about. He said, a time is coming, and has now come. So that time is now time. It has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, they're not going to be just religious people, but they're going to be authentic. They're going to be genuine. They're going to be sincere in their faith spirit and truth there'll be spiritual people who live by the truth for they are the kind of worshippers the father seeks that's who god is looking for god is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in the truth john 4:23 that's what god wants that's what he's seeking those are the things that jesus talked about those are the things that jesus wanted us to get live in the truth Do what's right. Practice, practice, practice the ethos of Jesus, his way of life. Strive every day to put into practice the Jesus, things that he taught. That's how incredibly important his words are. It makes all the difference in the world to our lives. To the impact we have on those we love to the impact we have on the world around us and the people that God puts in our path. Let's not be hypocrites. Let's hate hypocrisy. Let's love the truth and walk in the light. God bless you. When coming. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit MetroLARegion.com.